we're going to ask questions. This is a good series to be asking questions in. Um, we're talking about parenting. We're talking about kids and the next generation and our influence. Um, we decided to call it Raising Adults. Okay, raising adults, primarily because you've heard us use that expression around here in terms of spiritually adulting, right? In terms of spiritually uh, getting to that place of an adulthood uh, where you continue to grow as an adult. We, we use characteristics of growing physically as we talk about growing spiritually, but we are talking about both in this particular series, specifically in terms of our influence in the next generation. Now, we, we try to craft these messages in such a way that it's for everyone, okay? We want to be helpful. We want to give helpful, practical tools and scripture for you as parents, no matter what age your kid is in. If you're an aunt, an uncle, if you're a leader, if you're a teacher, you're a coach, and like everybody has influence in the next generation. And if you don't have any children yet, you have the most opinions about parenting anyway. This is really for you, okay? Let's get you on the right path right away. So it's for everybody, right? Raising adults. Last week, I talked about the fact that, you know, we're not trying to tell you how to parent your children, but we are talking about the dynamic that um, our charge, what we've been, what we can read in scripture in terms of our job as, 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 as adults, as parents, adults, and leaders of the next generation hasn't changed in 6,000 years, but our culture certainly has. Our children certainly have. The way in which our children are raised certainly have. And so we need to understand that dynamic better in order to take steps. So I'm going to give you a very brief recap. Can't go into everything, but I want to just make sure we're all on the same foundation together before we kind of kick into today. And last week I talked about the four characteristics of Gen Z and Gen Alpha. Gen Z uh, would be more of our student age, uh, teenager to teenagers. Gen Alpha is our younger, uh, younger age. I have both in my home. Um, these are the four things that will mark them in terms of this is a 2016 poll by Gallup. They're marked by recession, and we also know from 2000 and 2008, they're also marked by the pandemic, which is now. So they actually have these two major things that they're growing up with in terms of how the world's responded, how we've responded, that are going to mark them. And, and, and really for the pandemic, many sociologists, they don't know, they, they're like, they're, we're not sure if it'll be 10 years from now before we see the full effect of what the pandemic has done and, and what influence it will have on the next generation. They're fully connected, meaning integrated digitally. It's the digital reformation, the fourth one. And, 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 and that fully connectedness is something that is, is so normal to this generation. While there's some of us, the boomers and the Gen Ys and the whatever all the other ones are, Xennials and everything else, like we sort of remember both, you know? We remember a cord on a telephone in our house. He is with me, right? Some of you are with me, obviously. Some of you are not. What are you talking about, you know? From the receiver to the wall? No, that's not what I'm talking about, all right? <laughs> this generation is growing up fully integrated, fully equipped. They, you know, having uh, access to everything is just normal to them, okay? My five, six-year-old knows how to go through the house and ask Alexa to play her favorite song, all right? That's the world they're growing up in, okay? Going camping where there is no service and signal and you sit around the campfire and stare at each other, parents go, wow, isn't this great? Because we kind of remember it, right? Kids lost their mind. Don't know, have any, any idea what's going on. Didn't even realize a place like this in the world existed. <laughs> Fully integrated. That's this generation. They're growing up this way. They are also growing up marked by relational and sexual fluidity. And we'll talk a little bit more about that today specifically, but 
Primarily, it has to do with labels and categories in terms of their relationships with one another, <clears throat> in terms of how they see themselves. And it doesn't matter what the differences are biologically or uh, sociologically. It's, it's their, their differences that, that does, doesn't matter to them because it, it, it's primarily about their individualistic freedom and choice. All right, again, fully integrated, fully connected. They have all the information at their disposal with very little guidance or wisdom from intermediaries. And the fourth one is post-Christian. And I tried to explain this last week, and I think I, think I, did, I, think I did it the right way. You need to understand that this newest generation coming up, especially in the U.S., especially in the States, okay, uh, they are growing up, because of the fully integrated part of their life, they are growing up with a knowledge and exposure to the gospel and to Christianity, to the faith. Whether it's by the word and testimony of others that they've seen, whether it's by the Bible itself, whether it's by articles or things written or schools or people or family, <clears throat> it's not a case of ignorance anymore. It is an issue of they've been exposed to it, they've been around it, they've heard about it, they've, they've seen it, and they've said, no thank you. You guys with me? Yes. Post-Christian is the fact that they, it's not like going overseas to a, to a third world country that has no context of who God is. There's actually some similarities in, in the pagan world. There was a lot of similarities in the pagan world with the Christian world that were able, they were able to bridge. But this is a generation growing up in a fully post-Christian culture. And if they do choose Jesus, if they do choose this faith, the problem is they're so spiritually and biblically illiterate that they don't know how to explain it. They don't know how to communicate it. They don't know how to connect the dots for anyone else, barely connecting the dots for themselves. So this is a huge deal. And again, our charge hasn't changed. All right, we read this last week. This is the theme verse for the series from Deuteronomy. What are we called to do, even though the generation has changed? This goes to Deuteronomy 6. Listen, O Israel, the Lord, your Lord is our God, the Lord alone. There's only one and only God. This was very much at the crux of their teaching and foundation of our faith. Hey, it's just God. And you must love this God with your, uh, love your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to the commands that I'm giving you today. I want you to repeat them again and again to your children. Now he was talking to the, this is Moses sort of like final charge to the Israelite nation. He says, I want you to teach it to the next generation. Talk to them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Right? Tie them on your hands, wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. So this is the charge. I call it the all the time, everywhere uh, challenge to parents and, and adults who are raising the next generation. It's all the time and it's everywhere. Let's just say that together. Ready? All the time, everywhere. Where? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, I tricked you there, right? Where? Everywhere. When? All the time, right? When? Yeah, there you go. Everywhere, right? Home, road, morning, the, the hands and the forehead, they all were symbol, sim, symbolic to the idea of how we think and how we, our actions and how we live our lives and the homes we create, right? Now, this, this is the center of the target. It hasn't changed in 6,000 years. I will tell you what's also changed in the, the, from the second and the third industrial revolution. You'll have to go back and look at this at the turn of the century, of the previous century. You'll have to go back and look at all the ways in which parenting really did change. Okay? When the workforce changed, when home, homes changed, parenting changed. 
And so last week, we spent all of our time talking about just ways in which we can engage, right? Ways in which we need to kind of the, kind of the aligning ourselves with how do we do this all the time everywhere, kind of passing on our faith to the next generation. And we talked about these three things, right? Be informed, be engaged, be in charge. I gave you this illustration. Uh, this illustration, teenagers have already found this, and so we're gonna have to hide it for next week, uh, or it won't be the full illustration. Um, but the, these kind of represent ours. And so we just talked about influence. We talked about the church, the church itself. Okay, again, 2012, 2016 statistics is that we, the church had about 40 hours, 40 hours of influence in a child's life in terms of, you know, without vacations and other things like that. Um, it's actually more like 18 to 22 based off of current day attendance records and current day um, kind of family dynamics of how often families are coming to church together. So it's even half of this versus what I believe families have. And it's not including school and it's not including work and it's not including sleep. But in addition to all that, you've got about 3000 plus hours that you are in charge of as parents. You're in charge of these 3000 plus hours to be informed of the world they're living in, the, the issues they're dealing with and the uh, conversations they're having. You're to be engaged right? And where they are and what they're doing at the different stages of dependence and independence. We're going to talk more about that next week. We're going to be engaged in that level in these hours. And you really are in charge of these hours. Now they won't tell you that, right? They like to make, think, they like to make believe that they're in charge. Oh, so silly, right? No, you are ultimately in charge of these. You are the steward for a period of time, of your children's time. <clears throat> you won't be at one point, but you are when they're in your home, when they're younger. So be in charge, you know, be informed, be engaged, be in charge. And we talked again last week, that was all about last week, how we use this and what we're doing. Today I'm gonna follow up with that, with the idea that what we're doing with the majority of these hours is communication. It's all driven around this idea of communication. Now, I'm not talking about communication like long, you know, lengthy, drawn out conversations between a parent and a child, because those don't happen, right? They don't exist necessarily. They might when they get a little bit older, right? They, they do when they get a little bit older, you know, but I can barely get most adults to learn how to have emotionally, you know, deep conversations with their spouse, let alone I can't get any children to have it with their parents. Okay, so, you know, I want you to hear communication, but don't think, don't think about this idea of like lengthy, emotionally filled, telling you, divulging to you the emotional, uh, you know, heart that they're feeling and all the ways in which the school is challenging and all the ways in which relationships are this and that, that doesn't happen till they get older. And it does happen. Let me just tell you, it does happen as they get older and it continues to happen if you have a healthy relationship as they get older and older and older and older and older, right? I mean, the depths of the conversations I'm able to have with my parents is nothing compared to when I was a teenager. You guys know that. How was school? Fine. <laughs> What's going on? Nothing. You know, really nothing. You were on your phone for 18 of the 24 hours yesterday. Nothing's going on? Nothing. Right? This is, this is the depth. So when, you, when I say communication, understand, I'm primarily talking about 
how are we communicating to them? All the time, everywhere, 95% of the time, it's pouring out this way, okay? Now, I will tell you, just to go ahead and give this to you, because Donnie's preached on this, gosh, Don, probably four or five times, about healthy environments for communication with your, with your children, all right? Effective cross-communication happens best in safe environments, okay? When I say safe environments, I mean you cannot freak out every time your child tells you something. Everybody with me? Okay, now I know that all you guys are with me, even though you don't think you freak out. Can't preach at them, okay? You can't overreact. And listen, hear my heart. I understand when I say this. The reason we overreact is the majority of the time, our children are severely underreacting to everything. Everybody with me? Okay. Okay, what's a, what's a trigger word at my house with me? The word whatever. That's a trigger word. Because if I'm in that place and I'm even close to the edge and they're underreacting severely and I want to begin to speak into it and I get a whatever, just I go from banner to the Hulk immediately. Like it's <laughs> craziness. So we're not going to bat a thousand in this, okay? Just know. Again, this is, this is what I know to be true. I know this to be true, but it doesn't remove my emotions from it. You can't overreact. You can't rush in to tell them how to fix a problem. You can't, have, you, know, you can't force yourself to fix their problems. Like, there's, if you continue to do these things, just hear me. You're not creating a safe environment for, for children to talk with you. It's the same way that when you talk to your kids and you know the things that'll freak them out and you know the things that'll send them into emotional spiral and you know the things that you have to be careful of, you as a parent make decisions based on what you're going to say and not say. I got news for you. The children are doing the same thing to you. Children are doing the same thing to you. Don't say that to mom. That word's a trigger for dad. Look out. Don't say that word. You know what I'm saying? They'll, 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 they'll get it. They'll pick it up. So it's got to be safe. So I'm, I'm going to look at three areas today. Um, and this was just something I prayed about because there's so many things we could talk about, especially when it comes to how we communicate and what we're communicating. Obviously, I'm going to focus on the spiritual from the nature of how we're passing this faith along to our children. Okay, we can apply this in a lot of different areas in our life, but I want to just hit big, broad tensions that I believe are there in our society, in our culture, big tensions um, that we as parents are going to struggle with as we have, and again, even if you're just an influencer to the next generation, this is just a part of everything we, we struggle with. So I'm going to talk about three areas, okay? Three areas this wants us to focus on. This one's the easiest one, I think, for most of us to get, okay? So I kind of chose it first, is behavior versus character, okay? This is a tension that all of us face in, you know, several situations when it comes to kids and the next generation, all right? We can, we can choose to, to lead and parent and sp communicate, speak into their behavior, or we can choose to focus on their character. Now, there are, again, as I said, there are stages in which some of this changes and grows and morphs over time. You should celebrate those stages, okay? That's what we're going to talk about more next week. All right, but, but here's the deal. When you are, you have to understand this. When you focus on behavior, okay? When you focus on behavior, you're, all you're really wanting is compliance, okay? All you really want is compliance. Be quiet. Don't do that. Sit up straight. 
don't embarrass me, right? Do, 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 what, do what's expected. Don't make me ask you again. And with behaviors focused on compliance, we tend to, we tend to use a lot of tools in our, in our tool chest that we shouldn't use. Shame, right? Guilt, condemnation. Listen, the easiest way for my kid to feel bad about how bad they're acting is for me to make them feel bad about how bad they're acting. Okay? Because they didn't seem to be getting it on their own. So I have to help them understand how awful they're being. Everybody with me? Is it just me? That's okay. It's just me. Like, like these are the tools we'll use, but these are not the healthiest tools in our toolkit. And that's the problem is because our, pro- our, our focus tended to be on their behavior, which is really only going to bring us compliance. Now, is there times with that when they're much younger? Yes, there's correcting and doing, but, but character is all about their integrity. Character really is a focus of integrity, and it requires a great deal of freedom and liberty in your parenting. <clears throat> it requires a great deal of freedom and liberty in the, uh, in the bigger picture of do you really allow them the opportunity to choose, make choices? Will you allow your child to choose a bad thing in the safety of your parenting? Will you let them... <laughs> learn things the hard way? Most parents, it's like immediately, no. Behavior, compliance. That's faster, that's easier, that's quicker. And it's like, yeah, but you're, you're, you're missing out on the big picture. And if we're not careful, here's what happens. We tend to think if I can get them to behave properly for the longest period of time, it will put an anchor into their heart about what they should do and shouldn't do. And with that, they'll eventually be a better person. The problem is, is that you really are setting yourselves up that you're wanting what they do to dictate who they are. And that's going to be a problem when they make mistakes that are too big to ignore. Because now you've set them up for what they do means who they are. Versus you understanding who they are, not what they do. That who they are is supposed to funnel that way, right? I tell my kids all the time, listen, smart kids make dumb decisions all the time, right? You made a dumb decision doesn't mean you're a dumb kid. Everybody with me? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You, you make, smart, kids, smart kids fail grades, okay? Smart kids make dumb decisions. Good kids do bad things, right? I want them to understand that their character, their integrity is who they are. And when I speak and communicate into that, I want to speak into the character so that I can help with the decision-making, help them with the behavior, not set them up for failure, that their behavior is going to tell them who they are. And it has everything to do with that thing I talked about last week, conforming versus transforming. Remember that? We talked about Romans 12 too. You know, don't be conformed. Don't be pushed into the mold of the world. The, the, the culture is constantly pushing you into a mold. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We want to be transformed by the renewing power of Jesus. That's, that's what we're, we're talking about here. Don't allow your parenting, especially if you're a Christian, just hear this. Don't allow your Christian parenting and your Christian behaviors and your Christian outcomes and compliance that you want to be just another mold you're shoving your kids into. Because all it's going to do is, is going to get them to rebel. Because I'm telling you, the world's, the world's mold isn't nearly as strict as yours. The world's mold is a whole, it'll seem a whole lot more free than your mold. 
So let's not have a contest of which mold they want. Let's really speak into character. Matter of fact, we see this in Scripture. I'm going to read this passage, Ephesians 4. I have a couple from Ephesians 4 actually today, but this is just a running of understanding this picture of character into behavior. You've heard about Jesus since you've heard about him. You've learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and abilities, right? Renew your mind. Put on the new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies, right? Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Stay here, Camilla, real quick. Stay here. You know where your children learn to lie? Yes, they're from you. Go, girl. That's right, Carolyn. You tell us. From us, right? Like they learn to, they, they hear you on the phone, okay? They know that you didn't say what was truly what you were thinking, okay? They heard you get off the phone and say what you really thought compared to what you just said. They heard you try to get out of that thing you didn't want to do. Everybody with me? And then you're offended because they lied to you? How dare you lie to your mother? Does that make sense? But they learned it, okay? Southern culture is the worst. The Southern yes is the worst lie in the world. Right, right, Donnie? We both feel that way. Southern yes is horrible. Oh, yes. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely, darling. We don't want to offend anybody. We want to be upset. You have no intention of saying yes. You have no intention of doing it. You still said it. Right. Kids are going, well, I guess, that, I guess that works. Did you clean your room? Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't want to offend you. It didn't seem polite at the time to say no. <laughs> you keep going. Oh, no, sorry. Go, go. This was the reason. When you see this in terms of definitely the way Paul describes it, he's following what he sees in Jesus. It's not just the rule. It's not just don't lie. He's saying don't lie because we're all part of the same family. He basically is saying there's a reason we don't lie is because lying breaks relationships. Lying breaks trust. Lying causes issues, right? Lying causes disunity when there should be unity in the family. He keeps going. Don't sin by letting anger control you for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Nobody wants to be controlled by anything, but that's what anger does. Anger controls you. You don't control anger. And it gives root to more problems. It gives a foothold. That's the problem with anger. And so it, there's a reason for it. It's not just a don't be angry. There's always a reason that comes to the fullness of how it affects you and how it affects others. Keep going. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. That's the call. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Just adopt this to social media. We'll solve all the problems in the world right now. Okay? Is what you're saying good and helpful? Is it going to encourage anyone? Get rid of all the bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander as well as any types of evil behavior. I'll keep going. Instead, be kind to each other and tenderhearted for giving another. Why? Just because, just as God through Christ forgave you. There's this beautiful example of like, this is what Christ did for you. This is how you're called to live. 
This is the character that by which the Spirit now indwells you. He's transforming you, transforming your mind, transforming your attitudes into something that can be used for God. I will agree with you. The fastest solution when parenting is to beg, bribe, or beat your children. Everybody with me? I'm just telling you this is true. The fastest, quickest little solution to, to your issue is to do one of those three things. But it's not the long-term win. It's not setting up, it's not raising adults, spiritually adulting. And it might even set them up for failure in terms of the future, in terms of what they think you've actually done, in terms of just trying to create a mold of compliance versus actually worrying about who they are, versus about worrying about who, how you're raising you know, little men and women of God. Here's the second one. Religious preference versus transcendent truth. And I mentioned this last week because this is probably the biggest one for me. I like to use the word ideology. Okay, ideology is, um, it's, it's the idealistic view of anything. Problem is I use the word ideology a lot when I'm not talking about the Bible or scripture or our faith. So I don't sometimes use the word ideology. I sometimes you use the word preferences, but I'm going to use probably both because I, I want you to hear it, okay? Ideology, religious ideology is the, same, is the same as just basically saying, wouldn't it be great if? Wouldn't it be great if just everybody did this? Wouldn't it be great if everybody just, you know, loved everyone? There's a lot of Christian faith out there, a lot, of, a lot of bumper sticker faith out there, which is just, you know, just love everybody and you're going to be okay. You know, just, 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 just do your best. You know, that, that's, that's kind of what we're trying to do because we're just trying to do this. I, I get it. Okay, I understand. Problem is, is that how you define what love means is a really, really diverse world in our culture. And trying to kind of fix your religiousness and your faith to this can oftentimes just show up as basically like, well, that's their religious preferences. This is my religious preferences. And we all talk about Jesus, but you know, what's the, they believe this a little differently and I believe it a little differently and you're raised in my home. So I have to tell you how we do things. And, and it's just a religious preference. It's just ideology. And here's the deal. When you're trying to pass this down to children, and then you're shocked why they leave the church. And then you're shocked why they don't want it. You're shocked when they choose something else. This is, this is what Christian parents struggle with. Is that nothing, nothing you passed down to them was tied to a transcendent truth that never changes. That never changes. Okay? All they've seen is a religious preference. You might as well be telling them what color is your favorite right? Well, we're a purple family. We're just, we're just purple. We like purple. That's who we are. We're just a purple family. They're a red family. It's okay. It's a little bit different. We're purple. And here's what we do and don't do. And here's how it works. And I'm just telling you, we have to be really careful because if we are not, if we're not taking these hours doing what we, all the time, everywhere, passing down these truths, these transcendent truths that come from the absolute truth of the word of God, if what we're 
passing down is not tied to something bigger than our preferences, bigger than what we would prefer, bigger than just an idealistic view of what we think God would like to see happen. It's, it's us telling our kids, basically, we want to pass down what we think God looks like, what we would like for God to be like versus, that's ideology versus theology, which is who God said he is, and it's written for you to see, right? It's not just who I want God to be, it's who he said he was, whether I actually like it or not. It's good to tell your children stuff you struggle with in scripture, it's good to be honest about with your kids how God calls out your sin. Because he's going to call out their sin if they ever open up the scriptures. Right? So don't, don't settle for trying to use this time in their life, these 3,000 plus a year, passing off what your favorite color is. And hoping they'll choose that color. Tie everything to the transcendent truth of God's word. I'm going to give you a quick example and when I say quick example, I'm lying because it's not quick at all. Um, but it's one, of the, it's, one of the, it's one of the largest conversations happening right now with parents and those, those adults in their life with the next generation. And I'm just going to give you some of the scripture and some of the conversation I've had. Okay, I'm going to roll through it pretty quickly, so just keep your mind open. I can't cover everything, but I want to talk about, as an example, the sexual relational fluidity right? That this is what's marked by this generation. This is what a lot of our, 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 our Gen Z and Alpha are going to grow up and struggle with. And what do we do about that? How do we engage in conversation? How do we communicate what we believe the word of God says and the transcendent truth that we've been given versus just our religious preferences? Because they'll change all the time. They'll constantly change. I'll give you a few examples. This is Romans 1. This is one I have to go to often. When we start talking about uh, relationships, talking about the world, talking about those without God, they traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things that God created outside instead of the creator himself. It's a big deal. We worship what God created versus God himself, who's worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And this is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. The men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned for lust with each other or for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of their sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. And since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking. And let them do things that should never be done. Now, I've had conversations with parents and adults and all sorts of people who want to argue with me about, you know, uh, you know 1940s and NIV changed a word to, that meant something else to homosexuality and it didn't really mean that and it doesn't really do. Let me just tell you something. Let me just tell you how you know you're dealing with a religious preference. You have to work really hard to show the Bible not saying what it actually says. Okay? Like, and I get it, understand, I get it. As a matter of fact, a few years ago, a fa very famous blogger and author, you know, came out and, and was very much like, you know, I just, I just, we just, you know, we just couldn't handle uh, the, uh, the dogma of the religious church of, you know, saying this was a sin and doing all this. So they had to basically say, we don't think it's a sin. 
We don't, we don't, we have to, we have to try to explain away what the Bible meant by what it said. Because I know too many precious souls and too many wonderful people in my life that I would ever want to have this come between me and them and them knowing the love of Jesus. And I'm like, that's, that's great. But I, I want to do the same thing. But I can't take away what the truth says. Okay, I, just, I just can't. Like, understand the words. When I tie my faith to a transcendent truth, I can't explain away the truth. Or I'm just going to give them my religious preference. Isn't purple nice? Purple kind of works out, right, between this and this. Just ignore most of those words. Here's some other things I believe. This is Paul talking to the church in Rome. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to the mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Keep going. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Okay? You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. If you live by what it dictates, you will die. If you go through the power of the Spirit, you put, on, put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children. Of God. So I get into the conversation. Well, it's natural. Well, God didn't make a mistake. And this is just a natural thing. And it's natural to have these same sex attraction. And it's natural in our culture to, to just kind of let it work itself out. And I don't need to have any labels and I don't need to have any of this identification. And that's all archaic. And that's all so, so traditional. And I'm like, I get it. I understand. But I have a transcendent truth that I believe that tells me that the spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And you don't have to do what is natural. That's what I believe. There is a transcendent truth. Everybody with me? Okay. We don't just believe that about addiction. We don't just believe that about other things that just feel natural. Okay. We're not going to look at pedophiles and say, it's okay. It's just natural for you. No, no, no. We know that we follow a God that you do not have to follow what is natural to you. The spirit nature can be put to death. We're not all children of God. I don't know if you knew that or not. He said those who follow the spirit, those who are led by the spirit are children of God. We're all the creation of God, but we're not all children of God. Keep going. This is Paul again. We speak of these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. The person without the spirit does not receive what comes from God's spirit because it is foolishness to them. He is not, a, he is not able to understand and since it's discerned spiritually. Okay? Stop trying to expect people to understand spiritual things who are not being led by the spirit. Let me just say it one more time for those in the back. <laughs> Stop expecting people to understand spiritual things who don't give a rip about God or spiritual things. Stop arguing with them. Stop debating them. It's not about you winning. It's not about you winning an argument. It's not about you trying to conform people into some behavior that's your preference. Stop it. You need to first pray that they'll receive Jesus. You need to first pray that absolute hope will enter their life. Amen. Amen. This is the more important issue, guys. 
We're not just all part of the family. We're all children of God. We all sing kumbaya. Let's figure out a way for all of us to hold hands, be together. I'm terribly sorry that doesn't work that way. God's pretty clear about it. It's a transcendent truth that's true no matter what I feel about it. Well, they say they're Christians. I understand. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. Nothing is pure to those who corrupt and unbelieving because their minds are and consciences are corrupted. And such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless, without doing anything good. You want to call yourself Christian? That's fine. That's fantastic. It's going to be the way you live that matters. It's going to be who you're choosing to follow that matters. I've had honest conversations with parents, adults, kids. I don't care what the Bible says about that. Doesn't matter what the Bible, like, like they're not going to argue with me about the words or the text that I don't, I don't care what the Bible says about that. That's okay. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, I'm, I want to try to figure out how to love you and pray for you and be there for you, but we're not going to have a conversation like we're two Christians having a conversation because that has everything to do with the way you live. 1000%. Not what you claim to call yourself, but who you're a disciple of, who you're following. If I'm not passing down transcendent truth, I, have, I am passing down my religious color to my kids. So if I can't put the, connect the dots constantly to a transcendent truth above all things, so how are we supposed to engage? How are we supposed to have these conversations? What does it look like? Well, here's again, Ephesians 4. We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching and we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. They sound so clever, they sound like the truth. No, we're going to speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of this body, the church. We're going to speak the truth in love. We're going to tie it to a transcendent truth because that's what they need. That's what, they, that's what they really need us to pass down to them and to speak into their lives. Something beyond our religious color, <laughs> preference that continues to change. Well, Matt, it's not, that doesn't really solve the problem. Well, welcome to the club. I don't know how to solve the problem. I'm not giving this to you because I got a pretty little package with a bow on it. And if you get all kind of up in your self-righteousness and you're like, you hear me talking about this issue and you're like, get them, Matt, sick them, get them. You know, the Bible said it, that settles it. You have absolutely no compassion for people that are going with the problem. I don't have any idea how you can speak the truth with love. If your heart does not break for people who struggle with same-sex attraction, for people who struggle with their identity, for people in this current culture who are struggling to find and experience love the way culture says is love that is so empty and surface. And if your heart doesn't break for that, I don't know how you, I don't know how you speak into it with love. You need to speak into it with love. That's, I mean, that's got to happen first. When Jesus saw the crowd, he saw sheep without a shepherd. He saw they were harassed and they were helpless. And it broke his heart, filled him with compassion. Okay? I understand. We, we treat the scripture sometimes like ammo. Put it in our gun so we can take out the offenders. But I gotta be honest with you, this whole generation is struggling with some massive issues in terms of relational and sexual fluidity. 
And what they're not getting from most of the Christians in their life is the truth spoken in love. They're getting their religious color and preference. And it's damning them. Does that make sense? We have to, have to, as we're communicating, as we're pouring this out, as we're passing this on, it's got to be tied to the transcendent truth of the absolute hope that we believe transforms lives. Here's the third thing I'll do very quickly. <coughs> and when I said that, I don't mean quickly at all. Um, but I will close it with this. One of the things that has to intentionally be communicated, and this is not, this is not like, this is not like, okay, kids, this morning we're going to be talking about this, is a sovereign biblical worldview. A sovereign biblical worldview. <clears throat> what they're going to get everywhere else is a humanistic worldview. Okay? That's what our culture is, just a humanistic worldview. It's, uh, it's what's happening now that matters most and that matters to me. Okay, that's a humanistic worldview. What, what's happening, what matters the most is what's happening now and what affects me and affects others. That's, that's just all going to be the humanistic worldview. Okay? And it surrounds us. Okay? Humanistic worldviews come up with great ideology. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if everybody just got vaccinated? We could get rid of COVID and we could, you know, we could kind of stamp this down and it doesn't matter what freedom's got to be taken away and it doesn't matter what needs to happen. Wouldn't it be great? That's great humanistic world thinking ideology. Guess what? So is, wouldn't it be great if we all stood up and tore our masks, burned our masks and like, you know, stood up against the government and did all this kind of thing and told them we weren't going to take it no more. And wouldn't it be great? Yeah, that's fantastic humanistic world thinking. That's the both ideologies. You everybody with me? Yes. No, you're not with me because you're all offended, but just listen. <laughs> that's ideology. That is not theology. And humanistic ideology is what drives everything. So they have to hear it differently from you. They have to feel the tension of what Scripture says, the transcendent truth we tie our lives to, to the way you live, to the way you make decisions, to the way you let fear control your life, to the way you respond in crisis. That's, that's how this comes out. Your worldview comes out when something's on the line when something matters to you. That's when your worldview comes out. And the question is, is it, is it just rooted in a sovereign, holy, righteous God who speaks truth into our lives, who runs this world, who is over and in and all things? Or, or does it, is it just driven by us? Because really what you're responding to is the hopes in us. So I got to go back to reading these, these verses. These are the verses that I <coughs> come back to over and over again. This is actually a passage from Colossians. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, right? He's supreme over all creation. Through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth, Okay? He goes on to say this. He made the things we can see and he made the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. 
He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He's the beginning, the supreme overall, who rise from the dead. He's the first in everything, Jesus. For God in his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, <clears throat> and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with every, everything, and in heaven and on earth, and by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes who, or certain clergy, you, who were once far from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurances you received when you first heard the good news. I, this is so much less than an example than it is just a, a, you know, a stake in the ground, an anchor. When it matters to you and it's on the line and it's happening now, the way you respond in life, the way you speak to your kids, the, way, the, the truth you give them, the things that pour out of you come from your worldview. And what we are called to pass down, what we are called to pass down, remember, say the words all the time, Say it with me. All the time, everywhere. The way we communicate that is through a sovereign biblical worldview. Guys, it's... I mean, why am I going to live my life in fear when Christ holds all things together? Don't I want my kids to see that? <laughs> Don't I want my kids to see that I'm not worried or scared about the things I can't see because I know who made the things I can't see. I, I, I want my kids to say, <laughs> my little girl, I'll just tell you this real quickly. <laughs> she applies this to us in the weirdest ways, okay? She learned this. I think she learned this from Kid Street and Tracy and all that. Like, <sighs> she came back. Now, this is a child who won't, who won't go downstairs if we're all upstairs. You guys with me? Six-year-old? Okay. It's not just my kid. It's your kid, too. Don't, don't pick on me. All right. <clears throat> you know, every kid goes through this phase, right? But when she wants to do something and doesn't feel like she needs her parents around, and we're naturally, well, no, you can't go down there. Nobody's there. You can't go down the street. You know, She'll pull this card on us because she learns this from, from church. Mom, you don't have to be afraid. God is with me. <laughs> Am I right? Now, that's a little manipulative six-year-old, okay? <laughs> Just trying to get her own way. But am I so thankful she has that in her, in her mind? Even if, even, even if I tried to use it on her, reverse. Like, well, go upstairs. There's nobody up there, but God's with you. No, Dad, I'm not going. <laughs> okay, we're not talking about logic here. But we are talking about the fact that these are the things I want placed in her heart. These are the things I want anchored into her heart. Amen. So that she continues to have that and hear that over and over and over, repeated over and over and over again. When she wakes up, when she lays down, when we're on the road, when we're at home. And everything she sees her mom and dad doing and saying and thinking and believing. I'm not, I don't want to settle for my kids hearing 
what color Christianity they, their mom and dad was and the preferences that we, we preferred. I want them to walk away with a transcendent truth that we clinged and we just cling our life to. I want them to know how, how just vested in their character we are and not just their behavior. Yes, we care about their behavior, hear it. But how much more importantly we want to speak into who they are becoming in Jesus. That's what I want for every one of you. Let's pray. God, your word is a two-edged sword. Um, it cuts through the bone and marrow. It, it cuts through all of our uh, justifications and preferences and um, ideologies. And God, I just pray everything today that is from you, people will take, work through, process, that your spirit is doing that work now. Anything that's just me, cast it from their mind. Because God, it's you. It's you that we want to cling to. It's you that we want to we lean into, especially as parents, especially as adults who are influencing the next generation. We want to see vibrant, growing spiritual adults. Even though the challenges they face, we believe, God, that you can do it. We believe that you and your transformative work and power through your spirit is doing it now, even as we speak. Continue to encourage every parent in the room to keep pressing towards that goal, keep pressing towards that target of all the time everywhere, just, just passing on their growing spiritual lives on to the next generation. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.